Hello, everyone. By the time you uh, view this, I will already be uh, in Israel. Uh, I am uh, about to leave for a uh, visit to Israel for about a week. I'll be coming back with my parents, Rabbi and Mrs. Emmanuel Feldman. And that's one of the reasons I timed the trip this way so that I could accompany them back on their trip back to visit here in Atlanta. And um, I'm obviously I'm going as well just to see family that, that I haven't seen, including grandchildren, children and grandchildren that I haven't seen in a couple of, over a couple of years. Like most of the world, COVID has separated us from from uh, grandchildren. Um, Miriam is not going with me. She'll be going with me much later in the end of the summer when we have a bar mitzvah. At any rate, um, the reason I'm mentioning this is because. Um, we're talking about the 13th principle of faith in this lecture, Trias Hamesim, life after death. And one can't help but feel the sense of life after death when you just think about going to Israel. Just um, the, the miracle that I'm, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to go and land in a society um, that's built from the ground up physically and spiritually by Jewish people in the last hundred years. Uh, given up for dead um, by the world and, and really by many Jews. So talk about life after death. If we had any question about the possibility of life after death, all we have to do is look at Israel and what's going on there. So um, I, I, I want to share something a little bit more mundane with you than, than, than that. Uh, something that happened to me last night right after Yom Tov. I've got these thoughts in my mind about this talk that I'm going to record for you. And meanwhile, uh, we had a major, major personal crisis in the house, which is that right before Yom Tov, uh, before the last days of Pesach, our dryer stopped working. Okay, dryer stopped working. Well, um, that's a disaster because we had, thank God, quite a number of family in the house. And over Yom Tov, we don't do laundry. One doesn't do laundry. And so therefore, as soon as Yom Tov is over, people need to do laundry. They need to have a dryer. I'm leaving for Israel. I need to have my laundry done. My children and grandchildren are there. They need to have their laundry done. Um, uh, Miriam is trying to keep the house moving. And obviously the whole Yom Tov tablecloths and bed sheets and so on and so forth, like everybody else. But there's no dryer. And um, because Shabbos, uh, because Yom Tov is over on a Saturday night, it's very hard to even think of getting a repairman in, and we didn't want to do that over Chol HaMoed or Yom Tov. Anyway, uh, I took some very responsible steps, and I looked at a few videos on the internet, and I found out exactly what the likely culprit is. I eliminated the obvious questions of a circuit breaker. I eliminated the obvious questions of the start button. Uh, I eliminated the obvious questions of the plug not being plugged in, and I... Uh, figured out that it must be a thermal fuse that had blown. The thermal fuse is a six to ten dollar item. I located a parts place right before Yumta began. I called them. I could have made the two and a half hour round trip to Norcross through traffic, but I didn't want to spend my last two and a half hours before Yumta that way. And so I got them to UPS the thing, and I knew that the latest that it would arrive would be Saturday. So I paid more for UPS than I paid for the part, and it came in a box. And now the big drama began. As soon as we made Havdola, um, obviously, I want to help everybody 
put away Pesach, so to speak, like every other person, so that we can finally get to the culminating pizza party or ice cream party or whatever else Jewish law requires a Jewish household to have at the end of Pesach. But at the same time, I got to get that dryer fixed. And so I've got to figure out how to take the panel off the back of the dryer. And I've got to locate that thermal fuse. And I have to take out the two blue wires that the video says, I've never done this before. I don't even know if I have the right, um, the right tools to just to unscrew the uh, bolts. So set, set out to get it done. Anyway, believe it or not, it all worked. We, I got the back of the dryer off. I located the thermal fuse. I detached the two wires. I made sure to unplug the dryer from the wall so that I wouldn't electrocute myself. I put in the new thermal fuse. We, my son and I, screwed back the back of the dryer back on. And we plugged it in. And then the dramatic moment came. We tested it. And um, I pressed the start button and nothing happened. And then I realized, of course not, I hadn't set the dial to a special program. So I set the dial to a program, let's say, you know, knits or delicates or whatever, press the start button and it started. And I was so excited. Exaltation isn't the word. I yelped, it worked! As if like Alexander Graham Bell or something, like I had just invented a dryer. But I cannot tell you the feeling of fulfillment and completion and satisfaction and pleasure. And I can't imagine what you could have offered me to have instead of that pleasure that I had at that minute. Of course, the phone is ringing. Okay, so the, my point is that um, it was a major moment for me. I am not a repair uh, person. I'm a very intelligent, capable guy, but I have no experience repairing um, mechanical items. And this thing went well. I got the piece that came on time. I got in there. I, I, it took only one trip. It was just unbelievable. So the question is, this pleasure that I had, was it pleasure because I was a good planner? Was it pleasure because I was a good husband who made sure that my wife had access to a dryer right away so that she or I didn't have to drive to somebody's house to use their dryer repeatedly or a laundromat? Was it um, my technical skills that I was celebrating? Was it um, uh, my ability to turn bolts? It wasn't any of those things. It was the entirety of the thing. It was the fact that my being came together for this dramatic moment of a dryer that actually worked when you press the button. And I cannot tell you the level of satisfaction that I had. I'm still living off of it. Um, and uh, this is a perfect introduction to the issue of life after death, which is the 13th principle of faith. So let's, let's take a look at that. And I'll, uh, we'll come back to this and why this has anything to do with life after death. Um, so first of all, let's get this principle. This is the 13th of 13 principles, as we know. And it's the fourth principle in the section that we would conveniently label as the reward and punishment section. Because as we know, in the 13 principles, they're divided up into three sections. Um, the first section dealing with the nature of God. Um, God is one. 
um, we relate to him directly, not through an intermediary, right? For example. And then the second section dealing with the nature of his message, the Torah, prophecy, Moses, uh, the authenticity of the Torah, etc. And then finally, the last section deals with reward and punishment. That God is aware and responds, and there's a Messiah, and there's life after death, resurrection of the dead. Let's be very specific. Resurrection of the dead, according to Maimonides, means that after we die at a future time, God will restore the soul to the body, and the body will live again. And that body will be the precursor that uh, um, uh, will exist in a certain stage, which will then bring the individual into Alam Haba, into the world to come. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of disagreement about this, meaning others had a different view of life after death, um, very, very much uh, having to do with something that's going to have something that will go on in existence after this world. But this is what Maimonides says. And here are the words of Amonides. Um, the resurrection of the dead is a basic principle of the Torah of Moshe. Anyone who does not believe in it has no connection with the Jewish nation. Amazing, amazing statement, which means a person believes in Torah and, and observes everything and believes Mashiach, and believes in, uh, in reward and punishment, but uh, doesn't believe in uh, restoration of life after death has no connection with the Jewish nation. Um, resurrection is only for the righteous, as it states in Bracious Rabbah, rain is for both the righteous and the wicked, but resurrection is for the righteous alone. For how can the wicked be brought back to life when even during their lives they're considered dead? But the righteous, even when they die, are considered alive. Rambam is very brief in this 13th principle, and he refers us to other places where he describes it in greater length. But this is the principle of, of life after death, the 13th principle. And as we say, it's part of the reward and punishment paradigm that forms that, that form the last four principles. So exactly what is, what is going on over here? What's the point of this? For example, we can ask, why does the Rambam uh, call the 13th principle life after death, trias hamesim, um, not even life after death, but the life of the dead, the, re the revival of the dead, why doesn't he just talk about reward and punishment? That God will reward everything that we do and punish everything that we do in this world and the world to come. Why does it have to be specifically the restoration of the soul to the body, which, according to the Rambam, is what happens as God prepares us to enter Olam Haba. So, uh, the answer is that, first of all, we have to pull back and understand reward and punishment. Those words are really poor um, approximations of what we really believe in when we talk about reward and punishment. We do not believe that God pays you back for being a good boy. And we don't believe that God punishes you in anger or disgust for doing an Avera. Reward and punishment are terms that we use to talk about the reality of what was in the relationship that's created between us and God when we behave certain ways. Meaning, God doesn't punish or reward. He simply relates. God is interested in and created us to have a relationship. 
And when we follow in his ways, we actually create a connection to him. And that connection is eternal. And when we behave in other ways, we sever that connection. And that severance is eternal. And that's what's called reward and punishment. Meaning there is no reward or punishment in this world. People do suffer in this world and people do have many pleasurable moments or even entire lives that are filled with pleasure. And we believe that none of what a person experiences in this world is the final reward or punishment for a person's behavior. All kinds of things can happen in this world that have nothing to do with the real consequences of the person's behavior. Good people can suffer and evil people can have physical pleasure and benefit and even uh, be, love their lives. Uh, because this is not the realm. This world is not created for reward and punishment. So this world is created for accomplishment. It's cre created for creating a relationship with God. And then the next world, Olam Haba, is the world that is created specifically to realize the results of the relationship that we created. To the degree that we created an intimate relationship, to that degree, we live in Olam Haba in such a way that we experience the bliss of being connected to the creator. And to the degree that we sever our connection to God, we can't even realize that severance in this world because this world is so not connected to God anyway. It's not designed for connection. And therefore, in the world to come, we experience the, the distance that we created here, we experience fully there. And that's called what we would call punishment. So reward and punishment is all about the relationship that, um, that we created with, with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So um, that's why reward and punishment is mida k'neg and mida, measure for measure. It's not just because God is just. Of course God is just. He's perfect. Everything about God is perfect. God is never going to reward somebody too much, and he's never going to punish anybody too much because um, he has all the information, all the insight, all the power, and he's going to do exactly uh, what's needed in response to any particular behavior. Um, the reason um, reward and punishment is meta connected meta is measure for measure is because that is what it is. It is nothing other than the reality that we created. So reward is nothing other than we reached out to God and created a connection. That connection couldn't be fully realized in Olam Hazah. It could be partially realized, but not fully. And now in Olam Haba, in the next world, we realize it fully. And of course, it is exactly on the level of the relationship that we created. Now, because of that, because of the idea of Mida Kenegan Mida, it is not even conceptually possible that God would reward our souls for what we did. Or to put it another way, it's not reasonable to say that God would create a world where the results of what we did in this world would be realized by an entity that is different than the entity that accomplished it. What accomplished a relationship with God in this world? What entity did a mitzvah? What entity did an act of loving, loving kindness to one of God's children? What entity put on tefillin? What entity kept Shabbos? A human being, not a soul. 
and not a body, a human being, which is an amalgam of a soul and a body. And therefore, in order to properly respond, in order to create a realm in which a perfect response, a perfect realization of the reality of the connection that was created is realized, it's got to be the souls restored to the body. The human being is recreated to exist in a world in which connection and relationship can be fully realized. A world not of accomplishment, not of struggle, not of growth, but a world of realizing results. So therefore, life after death is the souls restored to the body because that's the entity that gets reward and punishment. The soul doesn't get rewarded because the soul didn't do anything. The soul only did what it did as part of the body, as a partner with the body. You know, the famous parable of the lame person and the blind man, and they want to uh, scavenge a vineyard and the lame person can't get anywhere. And the blind man can't see where the goods are. And so the lame person piggybacks on the blind man and they go through the garden, stealing the fruit. And the owner comes and sees what's happened. And he says, who did this? And he turns to the blind man. He says, I didn't do it. He turns to the lame person. He says, I didn't do it. And then he realizes that they're correct. But together, the entity called a lame person on top of blind man did it. And therefore he extracts punishment from both of them. That's the idea of life after death. Um, and therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu creates this being, recreates this being that already existed. Now, this leads us to uh, a very important realization about this principle. If a person says, I'm looking around, I've never seen anybody get up from the grave. Not only that, I know what happens in the grave. The body deteriorates. It turns into dust, right? Um, it's, this is ridiculous. What kind of business is this that a soul is going to come back and uh, inhabit a body? What body? The body isn't even there anymore. And what about all the people who don't have a body because they were destroyed? So therefore, a person looks around and says, I deny the reality of life after death. By the way, most of the Jewish world, including Jewish leaders and so-called teachers and rabbis, um, have given up on this principle because they're embarrassed about it because they, um, they can't defend it. The reason they can't defend it is because they are totally obsessively focused on Olam Hazah, on this world. This world is nothing other than a stepping stone to the next world. It's nothing other than a, than a, a field to be plowed, seeds to be planted, and the results of the, the growth from those seeds comes from Olam Habah. But more to the point, uh, to deny the possibility or the reasonableness of life after death is no greater a denial than to deny the possibility of life the first time. Our existence makes no sense. If there were to be alien creatures observing humanity and you told them that from the putrid drops uh, uh, there would be humanity, human beings with aspirations, with imagination, with creativity, with philosophy, with theology, uh, with evil, with good, with the complexity of human life. And all that comes from uh, a sperm and an oven. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. The only reason it's not ridiculous is because it just happens all the time. Uh, 
But that's, that, that's the point. There's the miracle of life already defies any logic. And anybody who denies the possibility of life after death is denying the possibility of life now. And in that sense, that person has already um, condemned himself to an existence in which there is no creator who can do anything and who is the start of everything and who, and who is not a rational, logical cause of life, a developmental, you know, um, uh, um, uh, slowly, de- uh, I'm losing my words here, um, evolutionary, an evolutionary source of life, but a creator, ex nihilo. That's exactly what God is. And therefore, the belief in life after death is no different than belief in God as creator of this life right now. There's also another point here for us to make, and that is that, um, and it, this is a, a clue that we have, is the fact that in, in Lashon Kodesh, in Hebrew, um, the word for um, womb is the same word as the word for grave, kever. Rechem is also a word for the womb, but also kever is a word that's used both to describe a grave, a grave and also a womb. And that's because a womb and a grave are both the same. A womb is where um, a life uh, is fertilized and ultimately develops and then emerges upon the world. And a grave is also a place where a human being um, is fertilized and then grows and emerges into Olam Haba. The grave is just another womb. And uh, that's really the, the important, the significance of this 13th principle is that it transforms our whole view of what this life is all about. This life is not the end all of everything. It's, a, it's an entryway to a relationship with God. And the purpose of this world is, is to create connection with God And the purpose of the next world is to realize connection with God. Another important point to make here is that this principle is very consistent with the Jewish notion that every aspect of God's creation is holy and is good and is purposeful. There are other faith systems that see the body as the enemy of the soul. Uh, In that faith system, It would make total sense to cremate. Why do you need to have the body around? Who needs a body? The body is the source of all physical desire, lust, and all kinds of passions. And therefore, the body is really the enemy of the soul. In Judaism, there's there's nothing that God created that's the enemy of anything. Everything is designed for a purpose. And physical experiences in life are also elevating and also purposeful, and also designed to be used by a human being in the service of God and creation of a relationship. And therefore, the idea of the soul being restored to the body is consistent with the idea that the soul needs the body, and the body is not a negative, uh, is not a hindrance, and the body, of course, needs the soul. But the point is that the body is not a negative. It's part of the uh, unity of the world. It's part of the unity of creation. So these are some of the um, implications of the principle of life after death. Um, the, when we talk about it in davening every day, we say, right? we talk about amuna, we talk about faithfulness. 
the idea there is not just God, we can trust God, we trust you. You said you're going to be life after death, so we trust you. It's more than that. It's that we understand from this principle and from the existence of the idea of life after death that you have a purpose, that you have a plan, that you put us in this world for something, that this world isn't all there is. The great debate recorded in the Gemara in Sanhedrin, where deniers of the faith said, if people who live die, then certainly people who are dead are not going to live. And the response was, no, if people who weren't alive can live now, then certainly people who once lived can live again, right? So it's a difference in perspective. Uh, Those who deny life after death see this world as the beginning and end of everything. And those who believe in life after death understand that this world is a stepping stone to something else. And when you see this world as a stepping stone, as access to something larger and bigger, it changes everything. And anything can be endured in this world. And pleasure in this world isn't the goal, because the goal is relationship. And that relationship is realized in the world to come. So these are some of the implications of the principle of life after death. Thank you for listening. I will be walking in the land of the living and the land that was given up for dead and the people with the people who are given up for dead. And um, please God, I'll be back in another week uh, with my parents uh, traveling with me. Looking forward to uh, having them back here in Atlanta for the first time since before COVID. Okay, be well. <laughs>